Welcome back to Reflections of Darkness, episode number 15. I am your gorgeous drag hostess, Evil, coming to you from my lair of eternal damnation. I hope all my listeners out there in podcast land, insert name here, are doing well. Well, as well as can be, I guess. <laughs> I'd like to give a shout out to some of my new listeners. Hello in Sestranda, Norway, and Tel Aviv, Israel. Thanks for helping me spread the darkness. <laughs> and now I have a special announcement. Reflections of Darkness has its first sponsor. Tonight's episode sponsor is Nailed by Jamie. If you're looking for a gorgeous, one-of-a-kind, handmade, painted, and rhinestone set of nails, designed and created by an independent queer business, then you need to get Nailed by Jamie. Prices range from $20 to $50, depending on the level of glamour. There are beautiful, ready, handmade sets in their Etsy store now. Or you can contact and work with them to create your own custom-designed masterpiece. Reflections of Darkness listeners can get 10% off their entire purchase by using the code RODNBJ, R-O-D-N-B-J. The more you spend, the more you save, and the more gorgeous your hands will look. Hurry over to their Etsy store now and get nailed by Jamie. <laughs> See show notes for details. <laughs> and now on to the rest of the show. Now it's time for Red by Evil. Tonight's first Red by Evil selection is My Best Friend's Exorcism by Grady Hendrix. Now, this book is set in the magical land of the 1980s. <laughs> this book is basically about how friendship is more powerful than the quote-unquote word of God. <laughs> it's a fun little romp, and I give it four out of five Coke cans. <laughs> the second selection in Read by Evil is Peace Talks, the Dresden Files number 16 in the series. Now, clearly, I love this series. It is the one that I compare a lot of other series to. So if you haven't read any of The Dresden Files by Jim Butcher, what are you waiting for? Get into it! So, not to spoil anything, but this book was great, clearly. There's a very large, overarching storyline that you have to read from the beginning, or you won't know what's happening in this one. <laughs> um, and this one, it ended in a huge cliffhanger. I hate when they do that. Actually, I love when they do that. Either way, get into it. I give this one five out of five titans. <laughs> and that was read by evil. Now it's time for quick reflections. Quick reflection number one, A Blade in the Dark from 1983. This is an Italian horror movie. Well, it was a four-part TV miniseries movie with a hundred red herrings and a twist ending you could see a mile away. Still, a fun watch for how crazy it is. I give it 8 out of 10 tennis balls. <laughs> Quick reflection number two. The Night Child from 1975. 
a British slash Italian haunted medallion slash haunted painting slash possessed child slash history repeating movie with a very unattractive child actor as the main character. It was a good idea, but maybe it got lost in translation. <laughs> I don't know. Five out of ten ugly knit hats. <laughs> Quick reflection number three. 1982's The Sender. Great idea, interesting effects, except the rats. Uh, this one you really have to pay attention to, but it pays off in the end, I guess. Seven out of ten, pocket rocks. <laughs> that almost sounded dirty. Quick reflection number four. 1976's Squirm. <laughs> this is a creepy crawly classic. It's in a backwoods romp that I may do a full episode on one day, so I'm not gonna give away anything. Nine out of 10, egg creams. <laughs> and our final quick reflection of the night, Final Exam from 1981. Now this is a great early 80s slasher. I mean, it's not the greatest, but it was pretty good. Some of the actors were just okay-ish, but it's a solid slasher. Again, this is a 8 out of 10, may do this as a main one later. <laughs> and that was Quick Reflections. Now on to tonight's main feature. Enjoy. Tonight's movie is The Car from 1977. Now this movie, I have to say, is amazing. And I don't know how it could have evaded me for so long. Not only is this movie fantastic on its own, but it finally helps me realize where all the references in other movies, mostly cartoons, about the car come from. So let's get into it. The immediate title card is The Car. Ooh, James Brolin is our main star. Now you may know him from the horror classic The Amityville Horror. He's also married to Barbara Streisand. <laughs> and for the rest of this podcast, I will be referring to him as James Rowland or JB, even though his character name is Deputy Wade Parent. I just don't care. Now, the opening music is nice, creepy, suspenseful. The music through this whole movie is great. The composer of this film was uh, Leonard Rosamond, uh, whose other credits include Rebel Without a Cause, Sybil the TV miniseries with Sally Field, 1979's The Prophecy, and tons more. Yeah, the music in this is amazing. We start out with two obviously 70s bikers, and I mean bikers as in bicycle bikers, not motorcycle bikers, because that's also a big 70 thing, but it's a completely different movie altogether. <laughs> the two bikers are racing down the mountain, and then the boy wins, clearly, and they stop to rest on the side of the road, and now the girl's saying, let's race through this tunnel this time, I'll win. And the entire time, the boy is sitting there on his bike with what looks like a massive bulge in his short shorts, which I am here for because, hello, the 70s. Bring back the short shorts. I think I'm going to start a petition. <laughs> so they start racing through the tunnel, and you get the POV of what I'm guessing is the car. Then you get a little teaser shot of the car coming out of the tunnel. Now you see the car POV coming up on the bikers. And I love how the POV is if you were sitting in the car looking out the front window, even though it's tiny, it's tinted, and it's yellowy, washed out amber color like uh, blue blocker sunglasses, if you've ever tried those. 
the POV shots are obviously of inside the car and the sound of everything's kind of muffled from outside like it would be if you were in a car. But that makes you the person in the car and you don't see the person in the car. You just see out of the car. I'm going to say the car about 87,000 more times in this podcast. So just deal with it. (laughs) So anyway, the car (laughs) is coming up on the bikers. And the first one is the girl because obviously she's losing the race. So the car starts revving up behind her and she starts screaming and the boy's screaming, what are you doing? Why? Ah. And the car pins the girl between the wall and the car and just runs her right off the road and kills her. And she falls down the embankment and she's gone. And now the car is on the boy biker. And as the car is getting closer, they start to head over a bridge and the car just bumped the bicycle. The bicycle and the boy just flipped over the guardrail right off the middle of the bridge, falling, 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 falling. Bye. Then it pans back to an awesome shot of a blood smeared all the way down guard wall, a bent spinning tire and just one shoe from the girl, I'm guessing. Fun fact about the boy falling off the bridge. This was that stuntman's first time ever doing a fall, and it was a 196 foot fall off a bridge straight down. Oh my god. (laughs) Now, cut to our first shot of hot James Brolin with a porn stash. It was the 70s. In bed, no shirt, with some woman lurking over him, who we'll come to find out is uh, Lauren, his main squeeze, who is an art teacher slash band teacher, which wasn't clear. And they just spent the night together, and she has to get ready for work. Uh, you get some nice boxer short shots of Mr. Brolin while he's brushing his teeth, getting ready. So then he's trying to get himself a little morning fun with Miss Lauren, but Miss Lauren shut him down. Stupid woman. But the way she does it is hilarious. They're resting a little bit and she grabs him by the dick and he's like, oh my God. And she basically can do whatever she wants to him. The way she learned this trick is a fun little story. <laughs> Little maneuver I learned from one of my fourth graders. She had all the little boys terrorized, got all their ice cream money. Fat little slob she was, but the queen. She was the queen. (laughs) Stand up slowly. Put your hands on your head. (laughs) Now that's a woman after my own heart. (laughs) Um, well, where my heart should be. (laughs) Now we cut to Mr. French Horn Guy, and he's just sitting outside, playing his French horn, playing along with the birds singing, and then all of a sudden the house behind him, a man is dragging his wife out, beating her, and we will for the rest of the movie refer to this man as Wife Beater. I don't want to know his name, he's a terrible character, but he ends up being important to the movie. I don't understand. Anyway, there's this whole scene between him and the French guy. Uh, French horn guy. <laughs> that was you that woke me up with that bugle. No, sir, that's impossible. This isn't any bugle, this is a French horn. Well, get it on out of here before I wrap it around your neck. All right, I'm doing it, I'm doing it. Don't get excited now. What the hell are you saying? Who, me? Nothing. Nobody's saying anything around here. Even my little friend in the tree stopped singing. Well, he's smart. And I'm giving you five minutes to move on out of here. Well, I can't move too fast. All I got's my thumb. Well, stick it out and hope. 
And if I hear another sound out of that thing, I'll go ram it so far up your ass, you'll be farting music for a year. Wouldn't that be fantastic? Farting music? Then the wife beater, the wife, and their son go back inside. And the French Horton guy needs to hitchhike his way out of there. Now, hitchhiking, if you didn't know, was a big thing in the 60s, 70s, and 80s, where you'd stick out your thumb, catch a ride from a stranger as far as they were going or as far as you need to go. It's no longer a thing now because there are too many fucking crazy people out there. So anyway, French horn guy is going to hitchhike. And what does he see coming down the road? A big black car. (laughs) And here comes the car. And French horn guy says, you're going a little fast. You're going to miss me if you don't slow down. And he does miss him the first time, barely. Then there's all this dust and stuff, so you can barely see the car now, and you can't see the guy, but then the car stops, and he starts backing up towards French horn guy. And he's like, oh, well, maybe they can give me a ride after all. (laughs) Nope. Basically, what they're going to do is back over you, then drive over you, then back over you, and then drive over you, and back over you, and then drive away. Because that's what the car does. And the whole time, Mr. Wifebeater is watching the car back over and drive over and back over and drive over the French horn guy. Ugh, what a way to go. Oh well. Back to James Brolin, getting ready to leave the house with his two daughters on a motorcycle. Thompson, this is 402. Good morning, Wade. What's up? Usual trip to school. I'm on my way in. Wade, there's something up at Amos Clements' place. You might want to check it out. Okay. Where's your helmet, Daddy? I'll wear it twice tomorrow. Thank you, Do as I say, not as I do. Yeah, hang on, turkey. That's so tight! So JB is riding his motorcycle without a helmet, you know, it was the late 70s, to the scene where the French horn guy was killed. The police get asshole statements. All the time the sheriff is looking at the wife, asking her if she's okay, because obviously the sheriff and the wife beater's wife have some sort of past relationship we're supposed to infer. A fun fact about the guy who's playing the sheriff. He was the father in the movie called uh, Cat Baloo with Jane Fonda. If you've never seen it, it's a hoot of a movie. Uh, Okay, where was I? Oh, right, 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 right. So they're all back at the police station now. And the police station has so many cops. Now this seems like a really little podunk kind of town somewhere in Oklahoma, Texas. Because they all have cowboy hats, but there's also multiple Native Americans, so maybe they're in New Mexico-ish somewhere? I don't know. There are also a lot of mesas and sand, and it's very deserty here, so honestly, I don't know where they are. I know where they filmed, but it doesn't seem like that's where they're set. Because most of the filming, I believe, was done in Utah, but it seems more like Oklahoma. Anyway, I digress. The town has a lot of police, And then while they're all there, they get a call and find out that the bikers, well, at least one of them, had been found. And they figure out that it's probably the same car that killed the French horn guy, but that it killed the girl first thing in the morning. And then there's still the boy biker that hasn't been accounted for. And there's all these continuing storylines of the wife beater, the sheriff trying to get her to press charges. There's this whole scene with one of the deputies who's apparently sober, sneaking alcohol. Then there's this stuff with the teachers. 
there's so much to keep track of already. All right, so the wife doesn't want to press charges. She leaves the police station. James Brolin and the sheriff at the station, and they're like, okay, let's go get a drink. It's time we had one. It's been a rough day. And James Brolin was like, okay, I'll meet you there. So the sheriff goes out and sees the wife beater being an asshole to his wife, and he says, I'm going to the bar. You drive home. So she drives off, and he starts across the street. And all of a sudden, you see the car in the background slowly driving, and it turns its lights on and guns it right for the wife beater, but misses him and kills the sheriff. <sighs> so everybody runs out, and there's just this couple of witnesses. Obviously, wife beater guy, the fucking douche, and this old Native American woman who had been walking down the street. On that subject, you know, it is really nice to see Native Americans in this movie. Because, you know, they're deputy sheriffs, they're dispatchers, the woman was nothing but a witness, but that was something. And I guess that's the closest thing to a person of color in this movie, because there are a lot of white people in this movie. I mean, it was 1977, and it was Utah, Texas, Oklahoma, I don't know. So, yeah, you're going to see a lot of white people. But you also see Native American representation in this movie, and I find that lovely. So... The Native American deputy is taking the statement of the older Native American woman. And James Brolin is asking questions. What did you see? What happened? And the other guy's translating. And the lady said something. And the guy doesn't really translate it. You get the idea that he didn't want to say what she said. And says to James Brolin, well, it was like what she said is, uh, you know, it's just Native American stuff. And he's like, okay, but what did she say? And I believe he made this part up and he was like, oh, that there's bad winds blowing and her people are going further into the back country. And the whole time you kind of see the Native American dispatcher listening and she's got this look on her face like he's clearly not telling the truth. So we cut to the next morning. They're making funeral arrangements for the sheriff who was killed. And the dispatcher comes up to James Brolin and tells him what the Native American woman actually said. And it creates a little more mystery. There's something I, I want to tell you about last night. Well, the old lady, well, Chaz, he didn't translate everything that she said. What do you mean? Well, she said there was no driver in the car. Thanks, Donna. Then they get a call that they found the boy who flew off the bridge. Well, was knocked off the bridge. And Deputy Drinks Too Much is clearly spiraling out of control. And something is going to snap with that storyline. Then we cut to a bunch of shots of deputies sitting on roadblocks all over this small slash large town. Then you get this awesome shot of the desert. And there are these huge rock formations, I'm guessing mesas. And then you see the car just driving around. It's not on any roads, on anything. It's just a really cool shot. And it lets you in on a secret that it doesn't need roads. And that why all these roadblocks are basically useless. And that's why the cops can never find the car. Because the car just drives where he wants to. And it doesn't affect him. And I have to say again, the music in this movie is so well done. And speaking of music... The next scene is of the school's marching band on a dirt racetrack practicing for a parade, though they never said what the parade is for. Oh my god. 
This scene has so many bell-bottoms and wannabe fair hair stuffed under marching band hats. It's a great shot. And one of the cops is up on this lookout tower over the racetrack. And behind him, in the distance, you just see these little flickers of light and flashes. And you realize it's the light bouncing off the windshield of the car. It's a great scene. And then you start to see the dust behind the car. And then the wind picks up and they all tell the marching band to quiet. And when they stop playing, you hear the car revving. And then you hear the car honking. And then everything hits the fan. People start running. Horses are running. Cops are running. One person gets trampled by a horse and you see it in the movie, but it doesn't look like it was planned. And then a couple more that looked planned, but that first one did not look planned. I looked it up, but I didn't see anything about a person getting killed by a horse on this movie. So apparently that person was okay and it didn't matter. So everybody's running and they're like, run over here, run over here. And then they're starting to run past this big graveyard that's luckily right next to the racetrack. The teachers are yelling, in here, in here. Yeah, a two foot high stone wall will protect us. He can't get through that. <laughs> okay, good logic, teachers. So the car is spinning around and around and he goes right up to the cemetery entrance and stops. And then nothing happens. And then he starts revving his engine and doing donuts in front of the cemetery, but he never goes past the cemetery gate. So then Lauren, the art teacher slash band teacher, starts cursing at the car and throwing things out and yelling and calling it chicken. And it clearly pissed off the car. And the car is doing donuts and revving its engine. And he hits one of the support columns to the entryway of the cemetery. So one of the teachers runs to the police car to call for more help while Lauren distracts the car by calling it names or whatever. So the police come. The car drives away because it's scared of the siren, I guess. All the kids are safe. But that teacher, Miss Lauren, has pissed the car off. I hope nothing happens to her. <laughs> okay, so James Brolin is hot bike cop again with no helmet, the 70s. And it's big car chase scene time as they all head into the desert after the car. Now this part is hilarious. You've got James Brolin on a bike heading towards the car. You've got another one who's chasing the car towards a mason now. If you don't know what a mesa is, it's like a mountain, but the top has been cut off so it's flat. Okay, so you have one guy chasing the car and everyone else is about two miles behind. So you've got this main guy and he's following the car up the roads towards the top of the mesa, going around and around and getting higher and higher. And all of a sudden the cop comes around the corner and the car is there facing him. And so they swerve towards the edge and the cop tries to get out of his car, but the car slowly pushes the cop's car door shut, then slowly pushes the car off the side of the mountain. <laughs> and the car rolls basically once and immediately bursts into flames. Now that's one of my pet peeves when, it, when a car just tips over. It's not going to immediately explode. But I mean, for this, it's fine. It was an interesting effect and looked cool on screen, but it would never happen. But I do love how slowly the car just pushed the police car off the mountain, like, okay, bye. So then the car is heading back down the mountain. Two police cars are heading towards them, and they see the car coming down the road. So they get side by side on the road. And they're all, he can't go past us, and he can't go through us. So they're driving. Then the car swerves right in front of them, makes himself go into a barrel roll, 
where the car is flipping side over side over side and barrels over both of the cop cars, killing all four cops in them. And then the cop cars explode and the car just immediately rights itself and starts driving away like nothing happened. <laughs> now it's sexy James Brolin's turn on his little motorcycle. So as the car is barreling down the road at him, James Rowland slides off his motorcycle, lets it sit on the ground, and he just stands there with his little gun in his hand aimed at the car. So what happens? The car just stops, and you get the POV of whatever's looking through the window at James Rowland, all tinted yellow, and he shoots the gun twice at the tire, and nothing happens. Nothing. It just sits there. Nothing happens, and so the window slowly, slowly cracks just a little bit, and James Brolin walks over to the driver's side door. There's no door handles. And the door just slightly opens. And he goes to open the door and bang! Hits him, knocks him down, and out. And then cut to James Brolin in the hospital. And the hospital scene is where James Brolin finds out that Deputy Drinks Too Much is drinking again. And that's why he forgot to tell them not to do the parade rehearsal. And that's why all those kids were put in danger, why five deputies were killed, among others, probably. And then nothing else is done. He's not fired or suspended. That's it. Hmm. I mean, I guess that's how it goes. All right. So then Lauren, she's at the hospital and she's like, oh, I've got to go home and change and get stuff. So one of the deputies drives her home and the cop is like, I'll be back in 30 minutes She's going to go pack an overnight bag or whatever. She goes into her house. Now, first of all, this house is amazing. I mean, it is right out of a 1970s home and garden magazine. There are yellow cushions. There are plants hanging everywhere. There is a macrame wall hanging. There are knockoff Tiffany lamps hanging that you would see in really old pizza restaurants. Everything it's a lot of wood, earth tones, and then you see this really cute, half-done painting of James Rowland, who is also in a yellow shirt in this painting. There are lots of yellow in this, uh, orange and browns, again, very 70s. So anyway, she's getting scared, uh, so she calls James Rowland in the hospital, and she's on the phone, and she's like, this is insane, wind picked up, and I swear I can hear the car engine, and she's standing in front of a huge picture window, facing away from it and facing towards us. And we see behind her in this huge picture window, we see lights and you can hear the engine revving and you can see the lights getting closer and closer. And then the engine gets so loud, she turns towards the window right as the car launches itself through her entire living room, killing her immediately, exiting out of the back of her house and landing right on the road and drives away. It's a fucking amazing scene that makes me laugh out loud. But now here's a question that I had and then other people I've had because I've had discussions with them about this scene now. Now, was her house in the middle of the street? Because it literally went straight through the house onto a road, no backyard, clearly not much of a front yard. It's like she was in the middle of an intersection. I don't know. It's weird. But overall, it was an amazing scene and an amazing kill because... I mean, it's basically car flying through the house to kill a person, then drive away on the other side. Amazing. And I mean, you're in your house. You feel like you're safe from cars in your house. But no, clearly not. So again, amazing kill. Another thought I had 
whatever happened to that painting of James Brolin in real life? I wonder if he kept it, because it was a really nice painting. Huh, I don't know. But this is the scene where, if you didn't think the car was magic before, you should now, because clearly it flew through a house to kill somebody, clearly a magic car. Then we get the whole thing about the car being on hollowed ground, James Brolin is crying, everybody's upset. I know why he didn't go into the cemetery. I know why. There's no other reason. The ground was hallowed. That's what I say. But you think about it. Everything that's happened, what it did to the guys, and how. was killed on the street. Lauren was killed in the middle of her own living room. She was special. Why? Because she cursed him, that's why. I don't believe it. I don't accept it. Wait, that car flew into that house four feet off the ground. And how did he know where she lived? Blocks up. Get all the other guys. Get them down at the station right away. And now it's time for a plan on how to kill the car. And it looks like they're going to blow it up. So he says, get everybody back to the station and get the wife beater guy because he's the guy who's in charge of all the explosives, ironically. So James Brolin then goes back to his house to change and say goodbye to his daughters, which he doesn't get to do because they're asleep. And so is the person watching them. Great babysitter. But he writes a note saying he loves them and then he goes out to get his motorcycle in the garage. And this scene is another an amazing scene because he's in the garage. He walks across the garage and he's doing something and when you see him walk by, you swear he walks by a car, but he's in a garage, so maybe he has a car. And then there's a little noise, and he whirls around, and he sees that the car, the car, is right there in his garage, just sitting there. And he's completely shocked. His eyes are huge, and he's playing this part amazingly. Then the babysitter comes out, and she's like, I didn't know you were home already. And he says, get the hell out of here. So what's happening? Are you okay? I'm going to keep coming closer. And he's like, stop. Can't you hear me? Get away. She's like, I don't understand what's happening. What's going on? Where is Lauren? How's everything? And finally he says, the car is in here. So finally she gets it ugh, and runs back into the house. He locks the garage door. And then this part I don't understand. He has to get to the opposite side of the garage through the door because his motorcycle's outside. But he just locked the door that leads towards the house and the big doors on the front of the garage is locked from the outside, so he gets a big screwdriver and he's going to pry it open? I don't know why it's locked like that. It's hard to explain. You'll have to see it. But it's a really cool scene because every time he gets near the door, the car rushes towards him. And then he backs off, so the car backs off. 
And then he goes towards it and the car rushes at him again. So he backs off and the car backs off. It's a little deadly game of cat and mouse. And then the car starts to rev its engine and it keeps revving, revving it louder and louder and louder. And the people inside are like, oh my God, this is so loud. And they're all covering their ears. And you see that the car is just creating a bunch of smoke. And I'm thinking, oh, he's going to carbon monoxide James Brolin to death. And it's getting louder and louder. And then he starts blowing his horn, which is like an air horn. And all the windows in the house shatter and the windows in the garage shatter. So then James Brolin double psychs out the car, makes, a ru- makes it rush him, and he jumps on the hood, through the window, and onto the motorcycle. And so then the chase is on. Whew! Okay. James Brolin is out and on his mo- motorcycle, and at some point he gets a helmet. I don't know when but or where he got the helmet, but now he's finally got a helmet on, the first time in the whole damn movie. The car is hot on his tail. They're driving through town. Nobody's out. Nobody's around. There are no cars. Nothing. That makes me think this is a very rural town and everybody's told to stay inside. Because if this was a medium-sized town, there'd still be people out because, you know, people are stupid. So James Rowland is leading the car to, I guess, wherever they're going to blow it up or cause a cave-in to trap it. Then there's a scene with the cop's van with all the explosives in it trying to get there. James Brolin is ahead of them somehow. I don't know how. Then there's the whole detour as one of the trucks is trying to get run off the road by the car. And James Brolin makes the car chase him again. Cut to the other cops and wife beater at the top of one of the mesas planting dynamite, running cord, and doing all this to get ready. But James Brolin has to distract the car for a while on his little bike in a little valley between the mesas. And then finally James Roland flips his bike over and has to run. And they've thrown a rope down from the top of the mesa so he can climb up. And the car is like ramming into the side of this mountain. And there's these big rock slide things that happen and it's a really cool effect. I don't know how they did it, but it uh, James Roland is hanging on a rope and the car hits the side of the mountain and a big slide of rock just slides out from under his feet. It's a really cool effect, especially for the 70s. Now James Brolin is climbing up the side of the mountain and the car is like, I've got to get this fucker. So what do you have to do? You have to drive out of the canyon and around up onto the top of the mesa. Oh, this is so exciting. So <laughs> then they're at the top and it's deputy drinks too much and James Brolin and the car. The car is heading straight towards them, and they're waiting and waiting and waiting until just the right moment. And then they jump out of the way and the car flies off the mesa as everybody hits the explosion, so the car is going down. You hear its horn and the explosion, and everybody's on the ground looking up at this big fiery explosion, and they all look scared and shocked for way too long. They hold these faces and it's kind of funny. And then you, and then in the fire, you see like kind of claws 
and then you see kind of a snake head, but it's all very unclear. I don't know if it was supposed to be on purpose to make it, you know, vague. Like, could it be? Couldn't it be? Is it a demon? What is it? Or if it was just they didn't have the technology to make it as obvious as they wanted. So it kind of worked out that it could be, couldn't be. And now the smoke is clearing and the dust is settling and they all walk towards the edge and you see the rubble. And then the music swells and they all stand there facing the sunrise and it's a very cheesy, happy ending. <laughs> and again, that's all. And like I said at the beginning, this movie is amazing. And I don't know why I'd never seen it. And I don't know why no one has ever told me to watch it. One of the main taglines of this movie is a car that evil would drive. Hello, literally made for me. <laughs> All right, now for the rating. I give this a solid 9 out of 10 porn stashes. A definite must-see, and on my list of a definite must-own. So, as always, please rate, review, and subscribe to the podcast, and tell your friends, help the podcast grow, send me any questions, comments, concerns about this or previous podcasts, follow me and the podcast on all social media, I am Reflections of Darkness on Instagram, R-O-D underscore podcast on Twitter. And I am Evil Queen SF on both Instagram and Twitter. And don't forget to check out our first sponsor, Nailed by Jamie, on Instagram and Etsy. And as always, keep watching scary movies. <laughs>